Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the National Library on a day that's almost too good to be indoors. Um, such a lovely spring day. I'm Margie Byrne, and it's my pleasure to be the, Australia, the Assistant Director-General responsible for Australian collections at the library. So those collections include all the really good things like pictures, the archival collections of manuscripts and oral history, which are very relevant to today's discussion. As we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples, and thank their elders, past and present, for caring for the land that we are now so fortunate to call our home. We're grateful to supporters for making this afternoon's event possible. In particular, I thank National Library patrons, supporters of the Treasures Access Program, and also the Australian Government for supporting the role of the Treasures Curator through Catalyst, the Australian Arts and Culture Fund. Today, we're exploring the fascinating story behind one of the treasures of our manuscripts collection. When he retired from the Art Gallery of New South Wales in 1971 as director, Hal Missingham received an extraordinary gift, a bound volume containing contributions from over 200 Australian artists and cultural figures. And the National Library is honoured to be the custodians of this volume, um, which has been on display for a long time um, in the Treasures Gallery upstairs. This afternoon, we welcome Hal's son, Peter, publisher and curator, and formerly, formerly a senior art gallery administrator, Lou Klipak, and Deborah Hart, Head of Australian Art at the National Gallery of Australia. They join the library's treasures curator, Nat Williams, to reveal the story of this very special volume, Fully Bound. But to begin, please join me in welcoming Nat, who's going to set the scene and give us some context about Fully Bound. Thank you, Margie. This story is one of great achievement, of persistence, of vision, of loss, but also of continuity. What remains of artist, photographer, author, and beloved museum director, Hal Missingham's voluminous papers is now held in the manuscripts collection here at the National Library. Much was lost in his disastrous studio fire in 1986. You can see some survivors here. Our papers chart some key moments in his very productive, long and happy life. We also represent Hal fairly extensively in our oral history collection, being interviewed about his life and art and, and interviewing other artists about theirs. We hold his portrait photographs of many Australian artists and also portraits of him. We have Hal's production of books which span fishing and cooking, children's books, exhibition catalogues, books on commercial art, of his photography, and of course the beautiful book we are here to celebrate today. At 65, Hal retired from his lengthy and rather challenging directorship of the Art Gallery of New South Wales. <clears throat> As you can see here, the entry in his tiny 1971 diary for, February, uh, for Friday, 3rd of September reads, Last day at gallery, 26 years exactly. Beneath this inscription is staff party in red ink and next to this hire car. 
<coughs> these abbreviated notes say quite a lot about the man who had successfully run the gallery and dramatically changed its course since his appointment in 1945, and was somebody who, as they say, didn't mind a drink. Howe was obviously planning to let his hair down and enjoy a few after more than two and a half decades of fighting New South Wales government apathy, bureaucracy and unshiftable elderly gallery trustees. Significantly, his memoir to be published two years later was entitled They Kill You in the End, an amusing, surprisingly light-hearted account of life running a cultural enterprise for decades presided over by troublesome trustees and budget wrangles. Among the perfunctory notes in his pocket diary are frequent comments on the weather. Perfect day, uh, reads an entry a week after his retirement. Unbeknownst to this retiree, his entry for Sunday the 5th, Father's Day, Wallace, Party, Hornsby, Old Man Valley, was to be a particularly momentous one. The mysterious blanket-wrapped object unwrapped at the well-attended Bush barbecue at Wallace Thornton's house was a weighty book. The man presenting the hefty gift was his friend, the artist and printer, Rod Shaw. It was entitled, Fully Bound, Over to Hal Missingham, a tribute with love and affection, 1971, which we know as Fully Bound in the library. <coughs> Within its painted and hessian-wrapped uh, cover boards were assembled 200 works of art, illustrated notes and poems created by artists and admirers all over the country and from overseas. Behind the production of this unique volume, which now resides as MS 3940 in the Library Manuscripts Collection, was a story of passion and of concealment. It seems that the architects of the tribute volume had been inspired by the publicised example of Willem Sandberg, the respected director of the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam. On his retirement in Ju July 1962, Sandberg had been presented with nearly 100 works of art as a gift organised by the painter Gerla Latasta and the sculptor Vessel Cousin, abated, um, aided by a group of 78 prominent artists such as Alexander Calder, Henry Moore, Jean Tengelet and Robert Rauschenberg. After its exhibition, the collection was given by Sandberg to the City of Amsterdam and the Stedelijk Museum. Coincidentally, Sandberg had also led his museum since 1945, the same year that Missingham commenced in Sydney. The two men shared a number of other similarities. Both were energetic optimists, passionate about graphic design, and thoroughly understood publishing. They both were left-wing in their views and progressively pushed their fusty old museums into new directions. The ambitious idea of a commemorative gift had been discussed well before Missingham's retirement by the artist Ross Morrow, who was inspired by the Dutch precedent, and Stan Telliger, a fellow art teacher at East Sydney Te uh, Technical College. The Sandberg idea was apparently dismissed as unpractical by de Telliger, who knew how, in his retirement, was planning to simplify his life, thin out his art collection, and to drive around Australia in his four-wheel drive. Months later, as Howell's friends more actively pondered how to commemorate him, the novel idea of soliciting works of art evolved into what ultimately became the fully bound tribute book, a kind of visual fest shrift, or perhaps a miniature gallery within a book. The idea took hold, but now the protagonists needed to get their skates on as the big day loomed. Rod Shaw, mentioned earlier, the well-known painter, illustrator, printmaker, publisher and communist, took on the role of bookbinder. 
Shaw was the founder in 1945 of Sora, the studio of re realist art, a left-wing visual arts organisation which Missingham also joined before he became director of the gallery. The progressive built, uh, printing business of Edwards and Shaw was based in Sussex Street, Sydney, and had been founded by Shaw with his partner Dick Edwards in 1945, and you can see them here. Edwards and Shaw earlier pre-war imprint the Barn on the Hill Press had operated briefly from 1939 and they published memorable and high quality art and poetry books by authors such as A.D. Hope, David Campbell and Geoffrey Dutton. They had a long and very productive relationship with Missingham. Edwards' epistle to Missingham, Howl and Farewell, the first literary work in the volume, seen here is elegantly set in Eric Gill's Perpetua font and wishes, wishes his, friends, his friend well. It concludes, on starry waves may howl his comet ride. The production of Fully Bound was kept secret and greatly aided and abetted by Esther Miss Missingham, Hal's devoted, long-serving and long-lived wife, and she's in the middle here, uh, and Noni Farwell, uh, and Mari de Telliger, uh, left and right, were the other co-conspirators. Um, Noni was a journalist and she and her husband George, a writer, were old friends of Hal and Esther. Peter does a very good impression of Noni Farwell. You might ask him for it in question time. <laughs> Mari worked for the Macquarie Galleries in Sydney and was very close to Hal and married to the painter, ex-curator and rev head Stan de Telliger. Like the Farwells, the Detelligas were close friends of Hallen and family. The two indefatigable collaborators were also assisted by other supporters, including Nora Ort in Perth. Like the Farwells, the Detelligas were close friends of Hal and the family. The two indefatigable oh sorry, <laughs> I repeated myself. The plan to assemble Fully Bound relied on artists or associates sending a work of art or memorial of some sort to commemorate Hal's life's work. Works of art and other contributions were quietly solicited from enthusiastic friends and artists around the country and also overseas. Of course, expecting artists to stick to the plan of submitting works of a certain size was possibly a little optimistic. One inclusion in the volume hints at this problem. <coughs> one inclusion, this one by Bernard Hesling, a British-born painter and cartoonist. Clearly, he could not find a decent sheet of paper. Instead, he submits a cartoon based on the vogue for bodybuilding ads at the time, also satirising himself. As you can see, it's inscribed, more suitable for a retiring bank manager than for a gallery director. Sorry, Bernard. Haven't any bigger paper. <laughs> Preemptively, Rod Shaw had planned for this eventuality in the comp compilation of the volume. The perfect binding employed for the book allowed for works of art to be tipped in onto sheets of pre-bound paper. If something arrived which was too large or rigid, the existing page could be cut down and the work adhered to the remaining hinge. Shaw's perfect binding and its white kid leather spine have served the volume well over decades. Fully Bound's pages have been turned for the hundreds of thousands of visitors to the Treasures Gallery, where the book has been one of the key destination objects in the rich and varied display. Visitors have appreciated the individual treasures on view, but they've also coveted the book itself, recognising that such an accumulation of valuable works of art, of personal history and a remarkable perspective on Australian art world through the mid-20th century is both unprecedented and significant. 
Each of the pages shown over the past six years has been seen only for six months for conservation reasons. All images were cited next to Nobel Laureate Patrick White's beret, glasses and his hanging garden manuscript. And more recently, as you can see here, alongside John Olson's endlessly inventive collage diaries and sketchbooks, which visually reinterpret and help him memorise the landscape. And John spoke at the launch in Sydney very beautifully about how. The design and layout of Fully Bound deserve a brief description. Years before commencing work on the volume, Rod Shaw had found some large Victorian typeface letters of printers, and they'd apparently appealed to Missingham. Made from wood, but damaged, they were unusable for much else. Creatively, they were pressed into service to colourfully illustrate and augment the book. No doubt seeing the bold red and black lettered end papers spelling out a subtle de dedication for how Miss. It says Miss in the beginning and Mick at the end. I don't know if you can see that. For how Mick. So it's a kind of... I think it was a, a, a subtle dedication to Hal and would have made Miss O chuckle. The typeface is used on the marked up jokey title pages too, a homage to Missingham's early life in the print industry. The imprint page of Fully Bound displays the following lines, holy mackerel up and mucked up in Australia by Edwards and Pashore. Design, design and binding master bounder an amusing reference to the printing partnership and Shaw's leading role in creating the work. Hold on for this one. To protect the precious collection within, Shaw created a simple bespoke slipcase which he covered with a red folksy pattern uh, fabric, uh, redolent of the palette favoured by designers in the early 1970s. It's slightly nightmarish, I think. As the volume came together, Shaw became worried about delays in production and, as it turned out, he was justified, as the book was finished only on the day of its presentation to Howe. Shaw tells the story in a recording in the library's collection about the last work to arrive. It was contributed by sculptor Tom Bass, who created the 1968 monumental copper lintel sculpture straddling the entrance to the library. The image he passed over to Shaw is based on a rubbing taken from one of his sculptures. It's dated, you can see it upside down, 5th of September 1971, the day of the handover. There's a, long, there's a story which I can deal with if you're interested about that. Interestingly, on the uh, preceding page of Fully Bound is a pen and ink wash drawing by Leonard French, who created our much-loved stained glass windows here. The scramble to track down artists and supporters spread widely around both Australia and the globe was without doubt a challenge, but the networks of the dogged uh, project coordinators paid dividends. Artists were keen to offer their support for the retiring director, someone who had, in many cases, helped guide or launch them in their artistic careers. Missingham was a keen supporter of contemporary art and Brett Whiteley's <coughs> contribution to Fully Bound is a clear example of a work of art born out of the artist's love for the museum director who had championed him and who had acquired his paintings for the gallery. In the library's collection is a 1965 recording of Missingham speaking about Whiteley in London. He says, he looks fantastic. Sparks are absolutely flying off him. The warmth effused on the tape towards this young artist by the gallery director is evidence of Missingham's open-minded attitude and his extraordinary ability to get on with all sorts of people, even a groovy hipster artist in the vortex of London's swinging 60s. In Fully Bound, Whiteley's witty collaged image of Katachuta 
or the Olga's is transformed surreally into a celebratory layer cake and his poetic inscription to Hal ends, P.S., who says you can't have your cake and eat it too? Fully Bound is a who's who of the Australian art world. Established and now venerated artists can be seen alongside those remembered less kindly. The time capsule resonates with names now familiar to us. Drysdale, Boyd, Noland, Reese, Williams, Brack, Lansley, Cossington Smith, Nora Hyson, and Judy Cassab. London-based painter uh, Sidney Nolan and Arthur Boyd contributed works for Hal via Alana Coleman, the Australian artist and art dealer who took up residence there in 1950 and promoted Antipodean painters. Coleman was another of the project's coordinators hidden behind the scenes. She sent a collage of watercolour and print printed images, which you can see here, of uh, Canterbury Cathedral, focusing on the exquisite bell tower and its remarkable fan-vaulted ceiling, dated 9th of August 1971, less than a month out from the handover to Hal, Coleman's work suggests the tight production timeline and challenges to get items from across the world. Sidney Nolan's work is one of the first in the volume and part of his Paradise Gardens series, created in London between 1968 and 1970. More than 900 panels of this series can be seen in the St Kilda Road foyer of the Art Centre in Melbourne. The images were inspired by Benjamin Britten's Cantata, Rejoice in the Lamb, written in 1943, and were named by another Australian Art Museum director, Eric Westbrook, after he saw them in 1970. Arthur Boyd was the other major London-based painter to offer a work for Hal. Unlike Nolan, who simply sent a panel from an existing body of work, Nolan, with pen, ink and wash, creates a sketch especially for Hal. He imagines him as a kind of St Francis figure on bended knee being fed by birds. The title, Being Fed on Holiday, seems to refer to Hal's keenness for the outdoor life, which Peter Missingham has described so eloquently in this volume we're launching today. St Francis, patron saint of animals and of the environment, seems to be a reference to Hal's pleasure in and passion for the landscape and voyaging through it. Boyd knew Hal was soon to embark on a huge solitary drive through the outback with Blue, his new cattle dog puppy. Perhaps also like St Francis, who was a bit of a carouser in his youth, Boyd is gently observing Hal's fondness for a glass of wine. Fully Bound is, of course, much more than a treasury of art. It is a gateway into amusing, enlightening and often singular stories about a remarkable man and his world. This world now recedes quickly before us, but it can be richly experienced through the pages of the book and by appreciating its embodied relationships and moments from Australian art history. Fully Bound is truly much more a book of friends than a gallery. Perhaps the most remarkable thing about Fully Bound is that it exists at all. The 1986 devastating fire which overran Hal's studio in Darlington destroyed too much of his past and contributed to his demise. However, that portion of Hal's archive that had been progressively deposited with the library from 1970 onwards now maintains continuity with his past. Within that body of letters from his associates and his speech notes, diaries and awards is his remarkable retirement gift, Fully Bound. Fully Bound was very precious to Hal and Esther, but they realised by May 1975 that they had to give it up for safekeeping, and thank God they did. Hal graciously and magnanimously donated it to the library's manuscript collection, where it is now revered in our Treasures Gallery as one of our greatest 20th century treasures. Thank you.
Now I, I will ask my um, collaborators to come to the stage. Deborah Hart, who's the Head of Australian Art from the National Gallery of Australia. Come on up. Lou Klepak, uh, curator, author, and uh, owner of the Beagle Press and great friend of the National Library of Australia. And Peter Missingham, Hal and Esther's son. Second son. Second son, okay, second son. <laughs> raconteur, as you're about to hear, and bon vivant. That's what it says on his business card. Thank you. I should have said, sorry. I should have said the images you're about to see now is just a scrolling uh, through of about 20% uh, of what's in Fully Bound. It's some of the more obvious images by artists that you might know. So that will scroll through as a backdrop to us uh, talking. And you can ask questions about that if you want to. Thank you very much, Nat. Is that working? Can everyone hear me? Oh, yeah. um, well, lovely to be here today to celebrate a number of things, as Nat has said, the wonderful Fully Bound, and um, also to launch this um, wonderful book in Canberra, Hal Missingham, artist, author, photographer, that has been published by Beagle Press and uh, really shows the devotion that Lou Klepak brings to um, these publications on Australian art. And we're very fortunate to have that, um, you know, to have you in our midst doing all of this. And, and I think it really opens up um, who Hal Missingham was. You know, he made an extraordinary contribution to Australian art, but I think that um, the publishing to date on him has been very much, I think that um, publication, They Kill You in the End, um, was what I remember reading, and, and it's very much Hal's response to um, the bureaucracy, the struggles of, of working as a director at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Um, I think this has brought exactly what you were saying, a balance into the picture and, and certainly what Nat's brought um, through Fully Bound, that sense of friendship and warmth that comes through um, in that volume. But I do think that um, in terms of the book that Hal wrote, They Kill You in the End, there was a bit of truth in this idea that it was a hugely tough battle when he started as director at the Art Gallery of New South Wales in 1945. And Peter, I wonder if you could start us off by <laughs> giving us a little sense of maybe what it was like for your dad when he began as the director. It was a very different kind of gallery to what we see today. Yeah, I, I mean, I was born in 45, so obviously my story's a little bit um, hand-me-down to an extent, but um, the gallery, it's well documented by Lou about the terrible state mm. physically it was in, um, and, you know, the, the stories that Hal used to talk about, I mean, he, his way of dealing with it was it with this good-humoured nature way, but uh, just an anecdote to show you, I remember when I was a fairly young kid, um, you'd go to the gallery and it had no artificial lighting, so you couldn't have a function like this. It was reliant on skylights. Mm. Anyway, to go to the toilets, you came in and you turned right and you went to the end of the hall and right at the end of this massive great painting, about four and a half metres by three and a half metres, which was the Queen of Sheba vis visits the King Solomon and she was going up these stairs and it was all dark and gilt, so you could only see it on a fine day. And you went down to the toilets. You were a bit, I was a young kid, I was a bit put off because at one end it said ladies 
and at the other end it said men. It didn't say gents, it said men. So you decide, okay, you'll go down the men's side and there's this fabulous western red cedar, balustrated steps like the opposite direction to the Queen of Sheba going upstairs. You went down into this dark place and then you came out through this tin door at the bottom which is like coming out of a ghost train in the old days. You know how they'd burst out into the open and then they'd do a sharp U-turn and go straight back into the dark. And so you burst into the open and there was the toilet, but it was a tin shed <laughs> across the yard at the back because the gallery was just a facade. Mm. There was nothing yeah, there. It, it just yeah. had the... It's still not completed from the 19th century. There's bits missing at the top and so on. So that, that was the kind of thing yeah, that the yeah. gallery was like. I mean, it didn't have... Um, ensuite toilets for the director or any of that stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah. No, so so he did beat his head against all sorts of problems when he yes. got there. And, and it seems that um, actually in the, those early days it was only two people. It was only the director and his secretary and it took him, I think, Lou, five years um, for him to get a deputy director who was then called, only called an assistant and uh, he also battled to get a conservator on board who was initially called, was, was allowed to get a job on the basis that he was a handyman and it was several years before he got the title yeah. uh, properly instated <laughs> of conservator. Lou, maybe you'd also like to join in and just uh, tell us a little bit about your understandings of what it was like for Hal in those days. Yes, it's, it's quite interesting. I sort of, um, one of the things about the book, I actually wrote a chapter called uh, Art Gallery Directors and State Galleries of the 1950s and 60s and, and to explain how terrible the things were. But it was so negative that I left it out <laughs> of the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, if anyone actually, I, I might put it up on the, on, on the internet. But it's, it I joined the, the museum world in 1964, and things were still terrible. I mean, th you know, there was no staff. Or, I mean, I was a, in, in the elderly in Western Australia, there were th three people working. Hal had about three or four people. Uh, Daniel Thomas started before me. Yeah. But I remember when Lyndon Johnson came. <laughs> and, uh, and this is, this is in quite recent times. And the Americans came in to see where he was going to be in, in the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And, and there was just an office, which was a boardroom and an office. And the Americans said, he has to have a toilet uh, somewhere that he can go to the toilet. And the only thing that, w that was actually available for him was Hal's sink. <laughs> the hand basin. <laughs> and the funny thing, which is quite interesting, was that when he was in there, uh, in the art gallery of New South Wales, Esther, <laughs> Peter's mother, was outside protesting against the Americans. It was terrible for a very, very long time. People don't realize how primitive everything was, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of a conser conservation, sort of, s the director had to know everything. Mm -hmm. The director was in charge of uh, bibliographies. It was impossible, really. So now, nowadays, yeah. nowadays, there are too many staff in the museums. I would actually cut them back. <laughs> but um, it, it is quite amazing. I, I, I can tell you roughly, in 19 I started in the museum world in 1964 as a professional officer in Perth. And this is when Hal came over for a, for a meeting of the Art Gallery Directors Conference that happened to be in Perth. And I was there, 
and now I was introduced to Hal and all the other directors, and it was actually a very strange sta state of affairs. Laurie Thomas, who had been director of the Perth Art Gallery, and how I met as a student, had, had actually left Perth and gone to Queensland, and um, they, were all came, they all came back roughly for this meeting in a room about you know, three meters by, by three meters. And uh, Laurie Thomas, who came from Queensland, had been in Perth, but he had, had broke up his family, and he was in a terrible state. He came into the gallery, said, oh, Luke, go and get me some seven-up razor blades. I really need to have a shave. And he was all over the place. I practically shaved him. The director from the Adelaide Art Gallery, Robert Campbell, who had been the director of Perth Art Gallery, and then the director of the Queensland Art Gallery, and ended up in the Adelaide Art Gallery, came over for this meeting. And when he woke up from the hotel, he said, where am I, what's going on? And they put him back on the plane, back to Adelaide, because he was drunk. <laughs> uh, it was a quite s a, a strange set of affairs. But there was Missingham, a fantastic character. He said, I've just done a, a big retrospective of Dobell, and I'll give you, a, he gave us a, a, a lecture on Dobell. He was full of beans. Uh, Brenda made a cake for the directors, you know, with morning <laughs> tea. It was a kind of, a, like a meeting of sort of six people, you know, who were sort of kind of in charge of little museums. Nowadays, you would not believe it. it, it it's like having sort of a, the janitor's meeting somewhere. It was a very primitive state of affairs, and yet Hal stuck out. There were two people who stuck out at that time. It was Missingham, who was worldly and knew everything and, and was positive, and Eric Westbrook, who was in charge of the National Gallery of Victoria, who didn't bother even to reply to anyone who wrote a letter to him. When Missingham wrote a letter to Eric Westbrook, he didn't get a reply. So there was a it was a strange set of mm. affairs. Mm. And that's the kind of thing Missingham inspired the likes of me from, that, from day one. Yeah. Well, I, th I think something that, that's really interesting is the way that it's sort of almost against the odds. You know, Hal, he had had a very interesting beginnings. Um, his dad died when he was quite young. There was an illusion that Nath made to in the book that he'd had an involvement really as a very young teenager in the, the printing industry, yeah, which, um, which shaped a lot of what he did later on. And he then went over to the UK and he, he trained at the, the Central School of Art. So he, and he'd looked at museums, you know. So when he came, he became the director, really very much at the instigation of Sidney Ura Smith, mm. there was already a sense of something that he wanted to achieve. You know, he didn't just fall into this complete mess, which it kind of was. Um, but he, it's then what he did with it that's so interesting, I think. And he, and among the things that he did was curate, um, he instigated um, three retrospectives. Um, there was the retrospective of Russell Drysdale, of William Dobell, and then Sidney Nolan. And Lou, I wonder, you know, this, this idea of the friendship with artists, um, Russell Drysdale, or Taz Drysdale, as he was know, known, Taz, uh, Tazzy, was, um, was a very good friend. Can you tell us something about that, that friendship? It was, well... And in fact, we see up on the, the screen um, a drawing of Taz's. Missingham respected the work of contemporary artists, and he actually realised how, how good Russell Drysdale was. And they became very good friends. And Russell Dreisel had the retrospective, which was the, the, 
the beginning of all the retrospectives ever done you know, for us in, in contemporary, in, in, in modern times. But then Russell Dreiser was asked to come to be a trustee of the gallery. And, that, and Missingham said, it is a very sad day for me because when you become a trustee, that is the end of our friendship. <laughs> but it never was. You know, tr uh, Missingham and, uh, and, and Russell Dreiser remained very great friends. And I mean, I'll, I'll go a little bit further because I sta started the Art Gallery in 64. And then I went to Adelaide, and then I cleared off forever to live in England. And then in, in 74, they asked me if I would come back to Perth. And I said I would come back if they gave me the job, but I wouldn't apply for it. And when I came there, I was a golden boy from London, and they said, you can do whatever you like. And when I arrived back to this ga gallery in Perth, which I, where I had started, they, had they were planning to do a very big new building, but they only had a director a deputy director and a secretary. I said, well, in 1974, I said, I want a curator of paintings, I want a curator of prints and drawings, I want a registrar, I want an education officer, and I want a photographer. They said, you can ha have anyone you like. So I said, I want Barry Pierce to become curator of, prints of uh, paintings, I want Henry Kolemek to become uh, curator of prints and drawings, I want uh, Roderick Anderson to be, ma to be made registrar, I want a Mount Carter to be made into photographer, and then Anna Gray came in as an education officer. So we had the most beautiful stuff without any interviews or anything. It was, just, it was like, like st in Stalin's day. <laughs> but it was a perfect way because we were, very, we were very, very happy people. And one of the things was that we were doing uh, exhibitions. And one of them was the, uh, the Russell Dreisel Drawings Exhibition in 1980, which was the end of, of, of several things. And it was Missingham who was going to uh, open it at the end, you know, 1980. And so it was a kind of, 1960 was the retrospective in, in, in Sydney. 1980 was the, ret was the drawings exhibition. So 20 years later, it, we all got together, they did a wonderful exhibition and everything came to an end. Mm. We all, after that, we all cleared off to other, other places, but that's yeah. another story. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. And I think the, um, the other thing that was important, and Peter, I'd like to bring you in, and also Nat, if you, you'd like to, but um, talking about the acquisitions policy, because I think Hal had a really hard time. You know, it's perhaps hard for us these days to think about Drysdale and Nolan as being the contemporary artists of their day. Um, but they were seen as being very radical. And uh, in fact, I, I think this is true that one of my favorite works in Australian art, um, Nolan's Pretty Polly Mine, um, was seen as being so outrageous that, that Missingham had bought, that he had his um, power of purchase removed. Poultry that was. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> But you know, there's something about that painting. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, just to say there's, a, there's like a little mine in the desert and it's got this man in a business suit and, and pretty Polly, the, the parrot at the top, overscale. And um, yes, and so, 
you know, there, there's something here. I'd like to just dig in a little bit to what kind of man Hal was. And um, Peter, you know, I, I think you write very eloquently about um, your travels with your dad when um, he had his um, tenure, the break yeah. after 10 years as director. But I wonder, you know, it strikes me with that work that his own father working in mining and, you know, the desert of, of Western Australia, um, how much that early impact of his dad and who his dad was might have had an effect on him and, and who he became. Well, I, I think with how, I mean, he learnt, I'm sure, a lot of his behaviours were just self-discipline, yeah. incredibly self-discipline. But also, he he learnt from, it's a, that's what he did, he learnt as he went. But he, there's an obituary written about his father, and you could base, uh, who got killed in a mining accident when Hal was 14, you, you could basically write Hal's name in that obituary. It's the same person, mm. this incredible energy, this, um, well, when you're a teenager, this rather sickening energy at early in the morning, you know, when you <laughs> want to sleep in till midday, Hal would have been up since 4am and he would have written 20 letters in the days of email, not, not email, and he would have been to the post office and he posted those and he would have had breakfast and at 8 o'clock he'd be ready to go. Yeah. Well, you'd be going, oh, no, you know. So he, he did have that incredible discipline, incredible energy. He did truly believe whether you were the cleaner or whether you were an artist or whether you were a politician, you know, if you, if you worked hard at what you did and you were well-intentioned, then he took you at, at that level. You know, that was it for Hal. Yeah. He also had a very cheeky, irascible sense of humour, you know, which he, he, all through his photographic career, he's constantly referring back to this whole Australian thing about women in one end and men in another, or, or one end's got ladies and one end's got women at the women's toilets. But when you go round the, at a country race meeting, for example, in Broome, they used to put up this fabulous, pristine, white-painted edifice, all, and it had one end, it had um, lady members only, and at the other end, it had women, I think. But, of course, <laughs> when you went around the side of the bells, it was exactly the same inside. So he loved all that double entendre thing, and he loved all the idiosyncratic things that he came... But you refer... Sorry, just, just so we have it on the record, yeah, yeah. going to your latest point, I think, first to the allusion to the book coming into the possession of the library, one of Hal's latest projects was going to be this book called Like a Bowbird because he knew his own propensity to gather this stuff up and that's why most of it was lost because it was sitting in his in his studio when it burnt down. So he called it, he was going to call this book, book Like a Bowbird. He had everything from his first ticket that he got on a bus in London in 1926 or something, Lou, whenever he went there, right through, you know, letters from incredible people corresponded with him. Um, but Esther prevailed on him. It was Esther that got on his case. Yeah. I mean, she put up with him for <laughs> so many years anyway. Um, he did dedicate... Put up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he did dedicate uh, They Kill You in the End to, to his wife, he said, and all those early secretaries yeah. that had to put up with him. But um, he, uh, she prevailed on him, partly because she'd get nervous about, you can't have this book, and anyway, it's not ours, it's a legacy. Yeah. So if yeah. it weren't for Esther... It, yeah. it would have been incinerated along with the rest. So yeah, yeah. she really was... Can I, can I bring yeah. in something, one, one, one point? You know, when I, I said that there was wonderful staff in Perth at, at the Art Gallery, when Hal left Sydney, he came to live in Perth at the same time, roughly, as, as, as we set up the, this new Art Gallery staff. 
And so he actually became the, a trustee, as it were, <laughs> to this staff, so that we actually worked with Hal, who gave us advice. So he was our kind of a, uh, so he hadn't finished with the art gallery world. He became sort of a, a trustee to this little bundle of people who looked up to him forever. Yeah. And that, that was a, a wonderful thing that we sort of had a continuity from, he had to retire at 65. Yes, but it he was did retire. When he came to Perth, mm. he was in Darlington, he came down and he was always with us, yeah. always yeah. with us. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary when you think that he was the director of the Art Gallery of New South Wales for 26 years, so that's not a bad innings. And, you know, just, um, just to backtrack again to a few of those achievements, I remember when I was um, writing a book on John Olson that how much some of those exhibitions that Hal brought over, not just, you know, important Australian exhibitions, but things like the French painting exhibition of 1953, um, you know, which, which was really would have been seen as quite a radical exhibition mm. at the time and made a huge impact on artists. Sorry, I'll Nate, you I'll were going to say something. Is this working? Yeah. Yes. I was just going to hold this slide here. Um, it's an interesting one. It looks pretty... I if anyone knows the artist Tony Tuxon, who was the deputy director at the Art Gallery of New South Wales with Hal for a long time, um, he, he does this and it's a homage to Hal. So what you can see here is all the various exhibitions, so travelling exhibitions, contemporary French painting, contemporary Japanese painting, young Australian painters, uh, the Nolan retrospective, the Dobell retrospective, they're all there. Yes. And what I found extraordinary, and I hadn't noticed this when I'd looked at the book, because it's been in the Treasures Gallery, it's not easily able to be looked at, um, what I hadn't noticed until I was writing the essay for the book was this, J.A. Tuxen, yeah. this tiny, tiny little mm. self-acknowledgement of the work of art in the, this collage. And it, I think it says a lot about um, Tony Tuxen, yeah. who really wasn't known as an I artist. Uh, yeah, jump in. The, re the reason why I actually felt that the book ought to be done because Hal was a great friend and people forgotten him and so on. And I went to see the director of the art gallery last October, a year ago, and I said to him, I, I think he's being forgotten. Let's do something. Else. Please do something about mm. him. And he said, he said to me, we were sitting in, in Double Bay, and he said, can you think of some event that we could base it on, have a dinner or something like that? I said, I'll think about it. By the time I got home, I realized that 2017, which is next year, was exactly 50 years since the retrospective on Nolan. And it was also Nolan's centenary. Mm. So I said, well, we'll do it as, as a me memory of the, of the retrospective on mm. Nolan. And then, and then he said, that's a good idea. I said, by that time, I'll have a book out on him as well. <laughs> yes, fantastic. And that, the book came out of that idea of doing something for Hal. Yeah. And then this man came to the rescue <laughs> because a book on Hal Missingham is impossible be over f financial restraints and so on. But, but the book, as I said before, it's, it's Peter Missingham who is responsible for the book I've just put a few things together. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh. Lou's unflinching dedication that's responsible. Well, I, I can I can say as somebody looking in at it from the outside that I think you're you're all you know you you've certainly all contributed to this and and that's what makes it a, a very rich publication. And I, I think it's interesting um, bringing up 
Tuxen, for example, yeah. because Tuxen was another person who worked in the art gallery world, but was also an artist, although most people didn't know it until no. very late in his life. And one of the things that I think you do in the book, Lou and, and Peter and Nat, you know, I think you all bring out the different aspects of Hal, including his work as an artist. And I wonder, um, you know, whether any of you would like to jump in and talk about his, his artistic practice and, and the range of that. Well, he, he had a fantastic, he was left-handed, and left-handed people, I don't know why, they seem to be very good draftsmen. You know, sort <laughs> of, uh, if you look back at the history of, uh, of great draftsmen, almost every, every, every great draftsman is left-handed. I don't know why. It must be to do with the, the, the two different brains. But he, he was fantastic. You know, he could do fabulous things, and nothing gave me more pleasure than to see Missingham sign his name. I just love him, you know, <laughs> doing his, 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 and it's such a wonderful thing. And when I see the signature anywhere, my heart jumps up, and and he comes up, you know, almost when it's like a doing a, a magic bottle, and the genie comes out. When I see his signature, I can see Hal coming alive in front of me. Mm. He he was he was a fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic draftsman, mm. but he didn't actually get much time to do it. No, I think, he, you know, when I saw... I've never seen a lot of Hal Missingham's watercolours, and they're beautiful, really lovely. They're in the book. You can see them. Peter has some, and I saw them at his house when I went up to record some interviews with Peter. And I was very taken by them, and I think they're marvellous things. And um, But also his photography, which he's probably better known for. Um, I mean, the tragedy is, in a sense, that, like Tony Tuxen, if you're, if you're a practitioner and uh, administrator, the administration in the arts takes over because there's never enough, you know, time and funds to allow you to do it. So basically, Hal's double disaster, other than being the director of the Art Gallery of New South <laughs> Wales, 26 years, much to his credit, was that he lost so much when that uh, studio fire happened in 1986 that, you know, it really wiped out his whole photographic archive, lots of a works lot of, of paper. Lots of things that he cherished dearly and correspondence and things. So that's a it's well, sad. The beauty of uh, a modern digital is that <coughs> all his photographic books that he did, and Lou, we rescued one that he was going to be another one of his last projects, which is a thing called Beach Magic. Mm. And, and they're these fabulous shots of anything to do with the beach, detritus washed up, rock pools, sand blasted, wind blasted, sandstone. He got them blowing up in one of those big old cibachrome things, yep. big like that. But they're terribly expensive. Yeah. And Lou's son does a lot of the production side and is an absolute wizard on digital. Mm. And he can take one of those photographs and basically make it better than the original used to be. So, but the other thing about Hal was we used to catch the ferry to work every day. Right. So he was constantly had two hours every day to draw, mm. which he used to yeah, do yeah, on the way in the ferry. But then he got a car and, you know, drove to the art gallery and so on. So, it, and, and the vicissitudes of the job meant that he just didn't have the time to devote to his practice, yeah. yep. which all, you know, artists yeah. have got to be at it all the time, don't they? Yep. They do. One, just looking at this image behind us, which I've held there for a moment, there's a surprising number. When you look at the 200 images yeah. in Fully Bound, there's a surprising number of Dunny jokes. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> likes to photograph Dunnies, yeah. <laughs> Ladies. Ladies and gents. In different forms of dress and undress. Yeah. Uh, and um, those two things stand out quite strongly, you know, that 
he was, uh, ladies would love Hal. Well, he was an and artist. And he was an artist, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he appreciated nice form, you a know. And, and there's also a couple of interesting, and I'm not sure if the next slide will reveal this. No, that's not Elam. Um, there is a slide that you'll see coming up, which is basically Rudy Coman, the famous art dealer, uh, who was an extraordinary character, a great friend of Hal's, great dealer, bon great bon vivant, had his own winery, Wine. and uh, his, his contribution, and I'm I might just jump forward to it, see where it, and we can go back to it. There it is. It's a bottle of wine. Splashed on the page. It's a Rorschach, Rorschach ink blot Exactly. Test. That's <laughs> exactly what it is. And then he inscribes it saying, Dear Hal, you'll no doubt be able to uh, pick up which vintage <laughs> this is when you sniff the page. Yeah, they, he did like a drink. Just, just to go quickly back on the, you had um, Emil Mercier there, yeah. was a cartoonist, uh, very well practised, but he got a job in about 1945, the end of the war, with the Sun newspaper, which was the evening tabloid, and every day he had a cartoon in it. And he was a wry, kind of slightly acerbic, and he just commented on day-to-day -day pretty ordinary things. So, uh, and he had all these mad little things that he'd, he'd have, uh, like the whole of Sydney's streets were all on springs underneath. You know, there's nothing <laughs> solid underneath, which I think we all know there's nothing solid <laughs> under there now. It's all tunnels and things. But he thought this was terrifically funny, and he loved things like being a Frenchman. He loved the word that there's no such thing in the Australian vocabulary as a source. Mm. Everything was gravy, right. and and and, and yes. he'd have um, old cans of you know opened in the old rough way lying on the side of the gutter, and it had gravy. Mm. <laughs> and then, but all his trams. So if he had drew a tram in his pictures, Mad Emil Mercia, um, he was always having a go at the French language versus the English. And on the top of the tram, he had, he was fascinated. Always said Bondi J C T N. Right. So it it didn't it, it didn't make a lot of. He didn't understand it. So all his trams had a thing. They were all going to Shrewdlu Junction, right. so, which is S-H-R-D-L-U. Now, that is an old compositor's joke going back long before people knew QWERTY, an electronic type. It was the second line. It, it's six letters. The first six letters were A, whatever it was, down like that. The second six letters were S-H-R-D-L-U uh, because they were the... 12 most used letters in the alphabet. Now, the compositor sat there and had to just lay his hands on them like a typist. Mm. So he had to know exactly where they were. So nobody got this shrewd junction, but Hal knew yeah, immediately exactly. what it was. Yes, yes. <laughs> so he loved, yeah. that, yes. he loved that minutia, you know, people who had yeah. that really close-up eye for detail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can I tell yes. you the story about how the book came about, mm -hmm. which is quite interesting. When, when we were in, in, in Perth, I said to Hal, the kill you in the end is actually not good enough because it tells you all the problems you've had, but it doesn't tell you your, your enthusiasm for life and art and, and everything else. I said, I want you to write another book. He said, I'm too busy writing, you know, sort of uh, taking photographs, going around and so on. And then he had a problem. He had a detached retina and he had to be in a room doing nothing. He said, I'll write the book. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be called As One Door Closes. I said, great. So he, he typed away, wrote his thing, and then he came to me and said, here it is. And, it was, it's, and I said, I'm not much better. That's it. I'm not writing anymore. So I've been sitting on this since 1985, <laughs> knowing what to do with it, you see. Mm. And I thought, I'll, I'll build a, a book around it. Yeah. So that's 
that, that, that chapter in there, but that, that chapter is based on the fact that he, when he came to Perth, he had all his boxes with all his tickets. He never threw anything away. <laughs> uh, theater programs, everything else. And he sat down and he got some sheets of cardboard and he mm. stuck down everything in chronological order. And the, the essay that he wrote, you know, the beginning of the book, came by him looking at this. Mm. And then Diane Dumba came along and he actually, she interviewed him and he actually went through all these pieces of paper. Everything about his life was actually laid out page after page. Scary. And that's what, that's what the fire destroyed. Mm. And that's what destroyed him. Mm. But we have the interviews with Diane Dumba, which are in the National Library, mm. based mm. on that. Otherwise, we'll be completely at a loss. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that personal connection and that um, handing over of the story, something that really comes through beautifully in this book, is um, Hal's own voice. And I think that is an achievement given that, you know, when you were doing this book. But also there's an incredibly useful timeline at the back of the book that is filled with heaps of information. And I, I think just to, to round a few things off because we want to open up to, to questions, but, um, you know, one of the things that really struck me reading that material and trying to kind of get a feeling for Hal's voice was this sense of making do that came from his very early years, you know, and hearing of his, um, you know, going to London and, and I mean, the, just having no money, like he and his mate, Jamie, going and, and buying wood and, and making beds with no mattresses and traveling to France and, and literally the amount of walking they did. And, you know, when you read it and his persistence at the Central School of Art and his work in typography and, you know, so that I really think by the time he comes to, to do his work, you know, here's this beautiful page, you know, he, he is really well suited to, to sort of standing yeah, out of. with his trials and tribulations that he yeah. had to face. Yeah. I, I, th th he, there was a terribly practical side to Hal as well. And, and you know, like yeah, yeah. he could turn, you know, he's very inventive and I cover a bit of that off in the book you too. You do, you do. But just segue, little, I think the modern idiom segue, but the lovely segue on from the fire is mm. that he had that, well, not sorry, not lovely segue, but from his retirement when these 200 people put this together, when he had that fire, like what, 18, 16 years? 86. 86. Mm. 18, so, so, 15. so 15 years. Uh, Nora Ort, who you mentioned that was partly helpful in the original book, at very short notice, she got cracking and got 160 artists to put a work up to auction to get him money to rebuild his studio. Mm. She did that in a yeah, very short space of time. And a lot of those people were exact, were the same people that were already in this mm. book. Who, yeah, yeah. you know, they, they're all getting yes, on a little bit. Yes. Like John Olson the other day, I had to say to John Olson at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, I said, I think, John, you were about 23 when I first met you. And he kind of looked at me, you know, <laughs> sharply. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so there was John Olson at 23 being promoted by Hal. There was John Olson giving a speech at Hal's uh, book handing over party. And there he is giving a speech at Hal's. Um, launching of this book, yeah. you know, yeah, seventy, eighty years later, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so how had this incredible ability to make friendships that just lasted for, yeah, you, yeah. you know, for eight, you know, for his life? Yeah. One thing that I should have said was singlets. Yeah. <laughs> singlets were a big part of Hal's uh, <laughs> uh, the way he presented himself. There's quite a lot of singlet imagery in the book, <laughs> and this one's by Alan Byrne, a painting himself. I don't know if Alan's in the audience, but yeah, he uh, does a wonderful thing with the 
that the Public Service Board with the New South Wales Government issue arrow being shot into his backside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. Yes, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary and it is well documented in the book that Fully Bound, um, just the range of people who contributed, including Bernard Smith, and we might open this up in the questions and discussion, but, you know, he's, he says an old um, friend from the Sora days. I mean, you might like to say what Sora was. The, um, I think Nat touched on it Yes, briefly. yes, you did. The um, uh, Society, Society of, of Realist Artists, you know. Well-known communists. Communists, that's right. You know. So interesting time in terms of the politics and Daniel Thomas, the first curator there, I just jotted it down. Um, with, he said, with love, grandest dad, you know, yes. so he was, uh, it gives you a bit of a yes. sense of the, the times. Yes. So, um, you know, as well as, of course, as you say, many artists and that continuity that went through to the days in when he went back to WA because, of course, he was from Western Australia originally and then ends up back there, as Lou says, very much as a, a close friend and, and colleague as well at that time. There's, there's one thing, the great ple greatest pleasure almost for me in, in this whole project, other than working with these wonderful people, was calling up a book from our stacks which is called Good Fishing by yes. Hal. And I thought, I don't know what to expect quite for this, you know. I called up all these books to have a look at them. And there's this exquisitely designed, beautifully formatted little book, horizontal format, uh, with He's drawn every fish that you could conceivably want to eat in Australia. Every hook? Be beautifully. And then the hooks, the sinkers, the whole thing. <laughs> he tells you on one page how to catch them and then on the right-hand page how to cook them. And, you, you know, how to cook them at a bush camp and yeah. how to cook them in the kitchen. <laughs> and I can't think of too many modern museum directors today <laughs> around Australia doing the same thing, can you? <laughs> That's yeah, a no, great... He, he, had a, uh, he had an eye for the detail and Lou showed me a wonderful fool's cap, which no-one's heard of these days, but it, most people here would understand a fool's cap <laughs> sheet of paper so you can fit a lot more on an A4. And Lou was undertaking a car trip from... Perth to Sydney and how had done this big road trip and he just loved the bush and you know nothing could be a more of a challenge than how having a breakdown in the middle of the Nimitabel Ranges here or something he loved that you know he loved that thought that was great but anyway gave Lou who was coming with uh, um, Brenda and their two kids across the Nullarbor a page of instructions and it was everything from um, for early in the morning check your tyre pressures check all the wheel bolts uh, make sure you've got petrol, water, <laughs> uh, take some minties, the minties to have on the road, everything bar how to like actually get in and drive it, how to give it in this checklist. You know? yeah. <laughs> I should leave it to the National Library. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We'd, we'd love to have it. Thank you, Lou. Um, thank you, Deborah, Peter, Lou and Nat for a really fascinating discussion and some insights into... Hal and his work and his times. We, we do have some uh, time for a few questions from the audience, but if you would like to ask a question, would you put up your hand and we'll, um, we'll get a microphone to you because we're recording uh, this event for the benefit of people who can't be here. Yes, at the back. The microphone's just coming. fit into all of that or did he not? 
given that internationally very politically, um, New South Wales very uh, politically. Well, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I kick, I'll kick it off. He's just asking, he, given it was such a political period, uh, it's already been alerted to that my mother was on the other side of the road at the height of the American bombing in North Vietnam. And um, everybody had signs up the anti-war demonstrators and my mother was with the Save Our Sons people. But I, I would say, this is being recorded, so I better be a bit careful because he's still got a security file for being a person likely to be a danger to the moral welfare of Australia uh, with, with ASIO. Um, he was a left-wing sympathiser, and uh, <laughs> <I'm thinking laughs> <fully> <laughs> it's like fully bound, the ASIO version, fully bound. He was a left-wing <laughs> sympathiser. I, I had a list of people. One journalist referred to him at the handover, Alan Barnes from The Australian, as uh, the people that attended the handover were writers, poets, artists, uh, bums and other sundry hangers-on. Now, in the bums and sundry hangers-on, you could put May Casey you know, Governor-General's wife, but they were all of a left suasion, generally. They sympathised with the left. You know, even his trustees, who weren't... The bulk of the board were terribly conservative, but he did have uh, Mary Alice Everett, Sid Ewer smith who was a well-known communist, uh, in partnership with the other publisher. So he, I don't think he was ever a card-carrying member of the Communist Party, if we'll say that, but he was always a, a left-leaning person. And in those days, as you sound like you know a little bit about it, you know, the only place you could go and listen to jazz, for example, in Sydney, was down at the old Iron Workers building in George Street North there. And that, of course, was just a Stalin, you know, a communist front. So, so anything that wasn't under the conservative umbrella of Menzies and so on, um, and, and of course they're all, you know, anti-Menzies. You mentioned instigator of the book Noni Farwell. Mm. She was a journalist with the Women's Weekly for many years, but, you know, you should have heard her rail against John Howard. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't begin to say the words in here, how she used to go on. She was a real hard-bitten left-wing journalist and so on. So, you know, they were the people... It was a symbiotic thing. They were the people that were pushing for change. Hal was pushing for change in his own way, so they were happy with each other. But he was, he was always against, you know, people who had no skill, no knowledge, no empathy, no interest in the arts, that, and they were always very insistent on going to openings and boring everyone stupid for two hours. Um, uh, he had no time for them whatsoever. He had a lot of time for anybody who had progressive, um, left-wing, generally left-wing ideas. You know, they didn't have to be, but it tended to be that way through that period. If that's... Sorry, I, yeah, I'm not a great historian, but uh, yeah, <laughs> they I tried to in conscript me into the army as well at that time, so... I, uh, I can give you another bit as well. In 1975 or 76, when I did the um, Guy Gray Smith retrospective at the Art Gallery, and uh, I, I wrote the introduction, and at the end, Guy... Guy said to me, I was a prisoner of war, I, bec I became interested in, 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 uh, in Christianity, and that made me a socialist. And I, and I put it down in the, ca in the, in the introduction. And I was, I was actually called to, to, to the trustees and the article in Perth. I said, why am I talking about politics in my thing? I said, this is historical. If he said to me, I'm a Nazi, I would have put it in. <laughs> you know, it just happened to be that he said, he said from, from my Christianity, I became a socialist. That was 1975-76. Same kind of thing that Hal would have got, gone through. I would have, uh, earlier on, I would have been sacked. But they said to me, any time after that, 
You have to show us what you're writing. Yeah. Just a quick little side note to Sora, which was the School of Realist yeah, Art. My father was a was an early teacher there, and I, I, I found the transcript. I shouldn't say this to Lou because he jumps on the back. Where it is in my filing system, I don't know. There's a wonderful transcript of an ASIO officer coming to see my father and asking him what his interest was in Sora. And my father looked at him and he, he said, you know, I, I like to teach. And he said, yeah, but Mr Missingham, you know, what is your interest, you know, in Sora? You know, that is, are you a communist, you know, basically as in, well, my father wasn't completely stupid and he, he said, well, I'd like to teach. He said, and I like young people. And he said, but what, what's, you know, what is your interest in this story? He said, well, I like to teach, I like young people and I like to teach young people art. <laughs> at, which, yeah. at, at which this guy just gave up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, went, oh, okay, you're obviously not going to get anywhere with this line of questioning, you know. I hope after uh, this afternoon's um, presentations and conversations that um, if you didn't um, know or, or experience the, the Hal Messingham years, or even if you did, that you'll, you'll want to buy the book. Um, that's why we're here today. It's oh. a, a, <laughs> it's a beautiful book, um, a beautiful tribute yes, to Hal and that time yeah. in Australian art. Um, and so... Um, at the conclusion of the formalities, please do go up to the foyer, have some afternoon tea, continue the conversation with the speakers, and above all, buy the book. How Missing an Artist Photographer, which um, I'm sure Lou and Peter will be delighted to sign. And and Nash, <laughs> and Deborah, <laughs> and this afternoon, <laughs> we, it's 10% cheaper than it would be if you buy it tomorrow. And, of course, you'll want to visit the Treasures Gallery and see Fully Bound, and it, it's revealed today. So... Yeah, we've got lots more stories, if you want to stay riveted to the spot for... Lots more stories, Okay. So, thank you all for coming here. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and we'll see you in the foyer. Thank you. Congratulations, Lou. It's in the running. How did you miss it on the running order? Um, we, we were presented with a two-page sheet, a little bit like my father would produce for this event, which was down to the minute. And I said, well, you... And, and they kept to it. Not too bad, because trying to keep a missing ham to a few words, as you've just discovered, is a pretty tall ask. Uh, but what we'd like to do, Eva, my wife and myself, uh, is present the library with a, 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 a watercolour. I think a very good example of my father's... It's in the... It's in, it, it, it's in the book, and um, it, it's a very fine example, I think. Daniel Thomas, who was the Howells curator and a great art historian, um, he referred to my father when he was trying to categorise him. He said, I don't know what to call your paintings. He said, I think I'll call you the new realist. So that's whatever milieu he fits into. Thank you, Peter and Eva. That's really very generous of you, and, and it's a, a very welcome addition to the library's collection. I'm ashamed to say that um, we didn't have any of um, Hal's paintings, so that is 
something we will have to rectify, but thank you. It's, a, it's very generous of you to give it to us and, and we love having it. Thank you. Stick to time, did we? Pretty well. Thank you. Did we stick to time?